Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. One of our favorite guests has returned for a, uh, I don't know how many uh, appearance, (laughs) a number. Uh, His name is Tom Jensen, and he is the director of public policy polling, which is a company that uh, does polling across not only North Carolina, but across the state. And we always like to hear the results of the latest polling. And uh, so, uh, Tom, welcome back to the program. Good to be with you. Yeah. So let, let's uh, let's take a look uh, very quickly at. Yeah, uh, uh, you also have some fun polls too that you add because every time you do a poll, you have a few extra questions, and so you do some fun polls. Sure. Well, we'll talk about those later <laughs> on, probably in the final segment because uh, they are always kind of interesting. But right now, let's let's talk about the national situation because we've had a number of things that are highly controversial, including the government shutdown. And uh, so, how how has that affected uh, uh, Donald Trump's polling? Well, it has driven his approval numbers even lower than they already were. He's pretty consistently over the course of his time as president had about a 42, 43 percent approval rating. Uh, But people were very unhappy about the shutdown, even some people who had uh, stuck with him over the previous two years. So our newest national poll found him down to a 40 percent approval rating. 57% 57% disapproval. At the same time, at the same time, no, we no, did, that's nationwide, or is yeah. that okay? And at the same time, we did our poll. The Associated Press actually had a national poll that found his approval rating all the way down at 34%, uh, which is the lowest any poll has found his approval so far. So he may bounce back now that the shutdown's over, but this is definitely one of his lowest points to date. Now, in North Carolina, he usually rides what four or five points higher than the national. Yeah, in North Carolina, he has about a 45% approval rating, about 50% disapproval. So, given that he won the state by four points, he's had about a 10-point net shift in the wrong direction. But because he did do six points better in North Carolina in 2016 than he did nationally, he's pretty consistently had better numbers here than he has in the country as a whole. So, now, what what other polling did you do regarding the government shutdown other than the approval of the president? Well, we asked people uh, whether they agreed with Trump that the government should stay shut down until he got funding for the wall. And people said by about a 20-point margin that they disagreed with that. Uh, People wanted the government to immediately reopen without any wall funding, which, of course, ultimately is what happened. Uh, And when we asked people very simply if they want to pay for a wall or not, uh, people are opposed to that by about 15 points. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens in the coming weeks on this issue because it really is something that voters didn't want a government shutdown over this, but they also just don't want it, period. See, one of the things I've always wanted to do, you know, when you go to the grocery store now and a lot of the stores have the price per ounce or the price per serving and so forth, well, I've always wanted to see, you know, when they talk about something being $5 billion or something like that, I'd like to have an average how much that is per capita. (laughs) <laughs> you know, so you take the total number and divide it by the population, which is what now? What's the United it's States? About population? 350 million, I think. About 350 million. So uh, very quickly, uh, check out what $5 billion would be, uh, Jason, uh, with uh, 350 million people. So we can understand how much $5 billion really <laughs> I think that doesn't that drive the point home better? Sure. Uh, but uh, I don't think Congress ever wants to do that because they're afraid <laughs> that. Uh, they would see that a number of programs are, um, you know, a little high. 
think so, it comes out to about fifteen dollars a person. So I don't know how many people want to pay fifteen dollars for the wall. Or if you've got a family of four, sixty dollars. <laughs> sure. So. I'm sure – I think the results would be the people who are in favor of the wall would say, yes, it's a good expenditure, and the people against it well, would say it's not. there was a GoFundMe to build the wall, and it raised about $15 million out of the $5 billion. So uh, there, there was $15 million worth of people willing to put their money up for it, but it's, uh, it's not going to get us much of a wall. So um – other, what about other means? The total integrate uh, immigration situation is a little different than the wall. So, how did you do polling on that? Uh, you know, basically, immigration is not very high up on the list of things that people are concerned about right now. We've generally found that uh, what people would like to see is a path to citizenship for people who are already in the country. With the dreamers. Some, yeah, yeah, with some pretty strict restrictions. I mean, it's not like people just want uh, folks to be able to do whatever they want. But uh, I think that there is some interest in coming up with sort of a longer-term solution than, than we've seen happen. Of course, this issue's been very much on the table for at least a couple decades now, and uh, it, it just seems sort of intractable, at least in terms of getting the politicians to get together and figure anything out about it. So what is high on the list of people's concerns right now? Uh, really, health care was the defining issue of the 2018 election. I think that was the highest thing on voters' minds. And because they trusted Democrats a lot more on it than Republicans, that's why Democrats had such a good election last year. And, of course, the other thing that's always at the top of people's minds is the economy. Uh, something that's sort of interesting is that since Trump became president, uh, 38% of people say that their personal economic situation has gotten better, uh, and that's more than the 28% or so who say that it's gotten worse. Uh, but then you also have another 32% who say it stayed about the same. Uh, so even though economists and sort of big-picture economic indicators say that things have gone well for the economy during the Trump presidency, 38% of voters say their personal situation's gotten better. 60% either say that it hasn't or that it's gotten worse. Uh, and I think that's a big part of why Trump doesn't have the sort of approval ratings that usually a president would have in this sort of economy. So now uh, that's nationwide you're yep. talking about. Is North Carolina different? Uh, North Carolina pretty much matches national no. trends. So uh, what uh, other things are on people's minds other than health care? Healthcare, the economy, immigration probably is the, the third thing up there. Has and the Korean situation just disappeared from the radar, the North Korean situation? Yeah, that's definitely not something that we hear anything about. I mean, one thing that's difficult during the Trump years in terms of the issues that voters care about is there's so many new issues every day that I think it's hard for anything to sort of get the saturation coverage that brings it up to being a top-of-mind issue. So often there's something that for a couple days seems like the biggest issue in the world, and then two weeks later you forget that that was even something that was getting talked about. So this is sort of the shortest attention span uh, sort of period of time I think we've had in this country in a long time with so many different things going on that very few of them have any sort of staying power that keeps them at the top of voters' minds. All of the investigations, especially the one with regards to ties to Russia, 
constantly in the news. Do people really are they really interesting or, or interested in that, or are they just confused? <laughs> well, I think there is a mixture of interest and confusion, but what there definitely is not is much movement about what voters actually think happened. Uh, we've been asking people for two years now if they think the Trump campaign colluded with the Russians or not. Uh, and what we generally find is that about 43 or 44% think that the Trump campaign did collude with the Russians, and about 43 or 44% think that the Trump campaign didn't collude with the Russians. And what's been particularly interesting to me about polling that over the last couple of years is that no matter what news, new news stories there might be, those numbers never change. The opinions about uh, the Russia and Trump issue are very much locked in. If you think that there is collusion, basically no new news that comes out changes your mind about that. If you think there wasn't collusion, no new news that comes out changes your mind about that. So it's going to be interesting to see uh, if there is anything that could possibly happen sometime this year that would actually cause a sizable number of people to change their minds about that or not, because it's been very intractable so far. So uh, during all this time, what is? Uh, are you doing any polling on Vice President Pence and what people feel about him? Yeah, I mean, he's not as unpopular as Trump, but he's not popular either. Uh, and we do also regularly ask people whether they would prefer that Trump or Pence was president. And Trump always wins that by about a 10-point margin. So uh, he definitely still has a stronghold over the Republican Party, even if his overall approval numbers aren't that great. All these situations are so interesting. You know, one of the things that's always been interesting to me is why uh, the press particularly thinks that only Russia would be interested in the outcome of presidential elections. I mean, you know, I, I've always sort of suspected that all foreign countries were interested in American elections. And uh, now whether people collude with them or not, I don't know. That's a different <laughs> issue. But it seemed like it was sort of a surprise that a foreign country was interested in how they elect. I mean, we're interested in how uh, who's the Russian premier. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, or president. I guess the release of Hillary Clinton's emails that were hacked has sort of given it a new level of attention that it hasn't had in the past. But uh, I think you're right that certainly this is not the first time something like this has happened. Well, it's, it's just kind of interesting. So, uh, any other issues with regard to Trump while we're in this segment of the program that you're pulling on? And well, just as just as administration, yeah, I mean, just as simple reelection odds are a big part of what we've been pulling on. And right now, no matter what Democrat you test against Trump, he gets forty-one or forty-two percent. Different Democrats get different levels of support depending on how much name recognition they have. But uh, that's a little bit of a dangerous place for Trump to be right now: forty-one or forty-two percent, no matter who his opponent is. Okay, so now have you converted that to electoral votes? Because we all know that he didn't win the popular vote. To begin with, <laughs> well, he's down by six to uh, eleven points against the different Democrats we test him against, and of course, even though he did lose the popular vote in 2016, he only lost it by two points. So it's pretty safe to say that if he's actually still down by six points 21 months from now, which there's plenty of time for him to rectify that, that those states that he won very narrowly—Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania—would go the other way, and he would lose. So when uh, the, of course, the next election is sometime off now, but and, and the Democrats are already beginning to fire up, and we're going to talk about that in the next segment of the program. Uh, so when do, the, generally speaking, when does the American public kind of start focusing on the issues? Well, I think the heavy focus won't come till next year, 
But one thing that's interesting, we were looking back at our last time we had a president running for re-election, January of 2011, we tested Barack Obama against Mitt Romney. Barack Obama led Mitt Romney by five points, and when we actually had the election in November of 2012, Obama beat Romney by four points. So it's actually possible that the state of things right now will stay pretty steady over the next couple years. But at the same time, Ronald Reagan looked in bad shape for re-election at this time in 1983 and ended up winning something like 48 states. So it can go either way on whether where things are now holds or not. Our guest is uh, Tom Jensen, and we'll be back with more right after these messages. Hey, it's me, your piggy bank. Remember when you were a little kid, all the dimes and quarters in my back? Yeah, that was good times. Good times. Now lately, I gotta be honest, you've been ignoring me. Money's been slipping through your hands like a greased pig. (laughs) Get it? Because... I'm a... Anyway, I know how it is. Now that you get a real paycheck, it's nice to have stuff. You'll start saving money next year. Well, I hate to tell you, but good saving habits start now. Put just 20 bucks in the bank a month. Make your own coffee at home instead of that latte every morning. Brown bag it to work instead of ordering in. Those changes alone could save you thousands of dollars a year. Come on, I'm your piggy bank. We can be together again, me and you. <laughs> anyway, if you don't want me to cry anymore, feed me. Go to feedthepig.org for more ideas on how to save. Feedthepig.org. This message brought to you by the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants, the North Carolina Association of CPAs, and the Ad Council. For the men and women of the Air Force Reserve, it's about making a difference in service and duty. Making a difference fighting wildfires, delivering relief supplies, undertaking high-risk rescues on land and at sea, or charting deadly tropical storms. It's about making a difference, maintaining the global reach of America's air power and keeping our planes in the air with critical in-flight refueling missions. It's about making a difference in the global war on terror, piloting unmanned aircraft on surveillance and interdiction missions thousands of miles away. It's about making a difference in these and dozens of other crucial jobs, protecting Americans and supporting our fighting men and women here and abroad. These men and women making the difference to service and country are your neighbors, family, co-workers, and friends. They are the part-time force with the full-time commitment. They are the men and women of the Air Force Reserve. Everyday people making a difference. We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. Tom Jensen, the Director of Public Policy Polling, is our our guest. He's been on the program a number of times before. He does polling all across the country as well as here in North Carolina on the issues of the day. And I lied in the last segment. I said we were going to come back and talk about the uh, 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 national presidential election and the candidates and so forth. But I'm going to change to the state of North Carolina first and talk about – uh, the approval ratings of the various folks in North Carolina. Now, we've got uh, uh, Roy Cooper, of course, is the governor, and, and he clearly will run again. Um, so, first of all, what's his approval rating? Uh, he's in pretty decent shape. He has a 45% approval rating, 36% of voters disapprove of him. On the surface, a plus nine net approval rating might not sound all that impressive, uh, but when you put it in context compared to his predecessors, he comes out looking 
quite good. Pat McCrory at this time during his time as governor had about a minus five approval rating. Bev Perdue at this period during her time as governor had about a minus 15 approval rating. North Carolina is very tough on its politicians and you really have to go back about to Governor Hunt uh, to, to find somebody who consistently was able to remain popular over the course of their time in office as either governor or senator. Uh, so in that context, Cooper's holding up pretty well. Now, of course, uh, the Republicans are beginning to line up uh, and begin to talk about who's going to run, and we're going to talk about that in just a moment. But in the meantime, there's a lot of uh, uh, interest in the power of Phil Berger and Tim Moore. Uh, what is the name recognition issue involved with uh, Phil Berger, and do people understand the, the real power that uh, that, uh, that office holds? No, people have absolutely no idea who either Phil Berger or Tim Moore is, even after uh, each of them has been in power for quite a long time now. They don't have anywhere close to even 50% statewide name recognition, Uh, so it's sort of an interesting thing. Phil Berger, uh, certainly up until a couple weeks ago, was the most powerful person in the state, even if he wasn't the governor, and he wielded that power as the most powerful person in the state, uh, even without voters really having any idea who he is. Uh, And it's just a reality of how much attention voters pay to state government. Uh, One thing we found in this poll, for instance, is that the vast majority of people have no idea who Lieutenant Governor Dan Forrest is. Uh, When Roy Cooper is getting ready to run for governor, even after he'd been attorney general for 16 years, a majority of voters in the state had no idea who he was. Uh, So if you get to being in any sort of office below about governor, people just aren't going to know who you are. Interestingly, the second most well-known statewide elected official in the state is actually Cherie Berry, the labor commissioner, just from having her picture in the elevators. (laughs) Uh, Interesting. So uh, what do you attribute that to? Why why is there so little name recognition? I would imagine 20 years ago the name recognition of politicians was much higher. Yeah, I think it is just a decrease in sort of media coverage of state government, especially once you get outside Raleigh. There's not that much coverage of state government on local TV news, which is still uh, about the biggest place that people get their news coverage from. Uh, Of course, all the newspapers in the state used to do a great job of covering state government, but uh, now there's not a whole lot of that left, and most people don't take the newspaper anyway. And then, of course, in a world where we have 42 million different things to entertain us at any given time, uh, I think there's just not the general level of civic engagement that there was uh, in past generations. So uh, I think that's a a trend that is probably not likely to reverse itself. We've talked a lot about the uh, state elected officials. We have, of course, uh, congressmen and senators uh, who serve North Carolina, Richard Burr and Tom Tillis. Richard Burr has been in office for some time, and every time he runs, there's a huge lack of name recognition, even though he has run, what, three times? Yeah, politics is all about timing. Uh, Richard Burr has been up in three different election cycles that were great for Republicans, so he's been able to win all three of his elections. If he'd been up in 2018, if he'd been up in 2008, 2006, he probably uh, would have lost, but that's really just what it comes down to. And on the topic of timing being so important, though, uh, I think Tom Tillis is in a lot of trouble for re-election next year. 
he wasn't popular even when he got elected. He, it was really just a situation where voters didn't like him or Kay Hagan, but they decided they disliked him marginally less than they disliked Kay Hagan, so he won by a couple points. Uh, he's never been able to build up any popularity so far during his time in the Senate. His approval rating is always in the 30s. He usually has a higher disapproval than approval. So uh, I think that the Senate race is going to be one of the most competitive in the country next year. And 2014, Tillis had good timing because it was generally a good Republican year nationally. Right now, it doesn't look like 2020 is going to be a good Republican year nationally. I think that if the election was today, Tillis would probably lose because we're in a pretty good democratic political climate. Of course, there's a long way to go to see how strong of a candidate Democrats end up with, and things could get better for Republicans in the national political climate here over the next uh, 21 months. But uh, I think that just like the 2014 Senate race, when Tillis ran the first time, was the top Senate race in the country, there's a good chance it's going to be the top Senate race in the country again next year. Who are the candidates, and have you polled how they would run against Tom Tillis? Yeah, so far there's a couple Democratic candidates in the race. Trevor Fuller, who's the chair of the Mecklenburg County Commissioners, is running. Uh, and then Senator Erica Smith, who represents a district in uh, eastern North Carolina and has sort of an interesting biography. Uh, they're both in the race. Uh, we've tested Fuller against Tillis, and Tillis has about a five-point lead. But that is largely, I think, a product of uh, Fuller having no name recognition whatsoever. When we test Tom Tillis against a generic Democrat, it's a tie race, and I really think it's going to be a tie race, give or pl- uh, plus or minus a couple points, probably all the way from here on through the election. It just speaks to how closely divided we are as a state. Uh, even though those couple of Democrats are already in, there's still a strong push to get higher profile folks into the race. I think if national Democrats were able to just pick their candidate, it would be Attorney General Josh Stein. Uh, right now, he's still planning to run for re-election, but uh, potentially could change his mind. There's interest in getting former Charlotte Mayor and Obama Administration uh, Transportation Secretary Anthony Fox into the race. And then Deborah Ross, uh, the former legislator from Wake County, who was the candidate in 2016, uh, is also thinking about running again this time. And uh, she basically ran even with Hillary Clinton in her 2016 race. I think it's really a situation where uh, if Trump wins the state, Tillis will get reelected. If the Democratic candidate for president wins the state, there's a pretty good chance the Democratic Senate candidate's going to win, too, pretty much no matter who it is. Now, that's all assuming that Trump runs for reelection. Yeah, which uh, I think he's full steam ahead for now, but of course... Uh, I'm sure Lyndon Johnson was full steam ahead at this time in 1967, so we know that these things can change. Tom Jensen is our guest. He's the director of public policy polling, and he uh, conducts polls across the country, and the views that he's expressing have to do with the results of those polls. Now, Pat uh, McCrory is uh, also considering running again. Uh, I think, uh, if I'm not mistaken, he's ruled out running for Senate. Is that correct? Uh, he's ruled out running for that uh, congressional seat in the ninth uh, yes. congressional no, district that's so contentious. No. Uh, he is thinking about running for governor. He's also thinking about running for the Senate in 2022. Richard Burr said after his last reelection that he wasn't going to run again. So that leads to sort of an interesting choice for uh, Pat McCrory. Uh, if he runs for governor, he starts out in the game, but certainly still as an underdog. He trails Cooper by four points, 45 to 41. Their race in 2016 was basically a tie, so Cooper's a little bit stronger now than he was against McCrory before. 
uh, I think one thing that really sort of buttressed Cooper's standing was uh, competent handling of a couple hurricanes last year. There's nothing that helps the North Carolina governor's popularity more than competently handling a hurricane. So I think McCrory would have a chance, but he would be an underdog. That 2022 Senate race, on the other hand, if Democrats win the presidency next year, like they're currently position to. One thing we know is that first midterm of a new president, their party gets wiped out. So if there's a new Democratic president next year, it's overwhelmingly likely that Republicans will win that open U.S. Senate race in 2022 uh, if when Richard Burr retires. So I think McCrory would have perhaps a better chance of winning a Senate race in 2022 than a gubernatorial race in 2020. Uh, but uh, it's, of course, hard to say how all these things that look like they'll be in good timing from uh, February of 2019 will actually be two, three years from now. Now, you mentioned the congressional race, uh, the congressional uh, election that is being uh, reviewed and contested at this point in time. How much interest is there in that? And what uh, does the public seem to want? Have you done polling on that? Yeah, uh, 48% of voters across the state think there should be a re-election in the 9th Congressional District. Only 28% of voters think that uh, Mark Harris should just be certified as the winner. Uh, It does seem overwhelmingly likely at this point that we are headed for a re-election. And what's going to be interesting to see then is if Republicans stick with Mark Harris as their candidate, or if they try to get somebody else who doesn't have this sort of uh, tinge of scandal on them to be the candidate instead. And then the other sort of confounding factor there is that Mark Harris has been having some serious health problems uh, since the election. So that may give him and Republicans an out where uh, they can get another candidate without actually having to admit that they felt like they needed to get another candidate because of the scandal. A question I've had all along is if the election in Bladen County is ruled uh, um, illegal or wrong or needs to be redone, What about all the other races in Bladen County? Would they also not be up? I think that might have been the only one where the race was so close that it could have made a big difference. Uh, But I'm not sure. Well, we'll have to see. This issue of being registered Republican, registered Democrat, and registered unaffiliate, uh, is that trend continuing to see more and more people change their affiliations? Yep. Uh, Unaffiliated certainly is growing at a considerably higher pace than either Democrats or Republicans. We've already reached the point now where we have more unaffiliateds in North Carolina than Republicans. Republicans have gone to being in third place. And uh, it's going to reach a point. We're still probably five or 10 years away, but we're going to reach a point where there's more unaffiliateds than Democrats, too. And unaffiliateds will make up the plurality of voters in the state. Young people registering to vote especially feel no loyalty to the uh, political party system at all, even though they largely vote Democratic when it comes to making choices between the candidates. They still don't identify as Democrats. They don't want to be part of a political party. Uh, It just really doesn't have any appeal to them. Now, for years, we have assumed, uh, and there's been evidence, that as you grow older, um, you tend to get more and more conservative in your views, whether it's uh, the typical conservatism that we talk about or not. Uh, Is that trend continuing? In other words, uh, the 25-year-old of five years ago that might have been a a, a more liberal thinking, what, what happens when they're 35? Uh, I think people are pretty much keeping their 25-year-old politics when they're 35. I think the bigger question is if they're still going to keep their 25-year-old politics when they're 
in their 50s. Uh, but I think that the, the shift is not happening that young anymore. Republicans have really hurt themselves with the generation that's 18 to 50 or so right now uh, by being so conservative on social issues, because even people who uh, you know don't want high taxes and don't want government spending out of control and stuff like that uh, among younger voters still tend to be pretty socially liberal. Uh, and I think that if Republicans were more focused on economic stuff, they might find the Republican Party more appealing, but they're not going to get up with a party that still doesn't want gay marriage, that still wants to criminalize abortion, stuff like that. If you were asked to define what the average voter is in North Carolina, how would you describe them on the left or right poll? Really right in the middle. We are the most down the middle state in the country, I think, just about. You think even about something like 2018, that was a huge Democratic year in North Carolina. The statewide races, Democrats won 51 to 49. Uh, and then uh, 2016 was thought of as being a huge Republican year in North Carolina. Republicans, on average, won the big races on the ballot by about 51 to 49. So we really are a state that's just sort of flipping back and forth between 51 to 49 one way or the other and it's a very thin line between getting all democrats or all republicans in there uh by just a couple points our guest has been tom jensen if you'd like to hear a repeat of this broadcast you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com and hear not only this broadcast but any other that he has done our program has been produced by jason kong and he'll have another interesting guest for us next week on this same group of stations all across north carolina so next week same time same station have a nice week everybody Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Carolina Newsmakers.